Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, one thing before we move into um, to, to what we have before us this morning, um, <clears throat> I want to say thank you. Sorry. <clears throat> I'm not sick. I don't know why something in the throat this morning. Um, I want to say a deep, deep thank you to many, many hands uh, who, who have helped decorate the church facility this week. Can we just say thank you to them this morning? My, my friend Ashley down here led up that team, and I'm so grateful for you, Ashley, and for all those who helped you. I saw many faces here, and um, I'm super thankful for, for 17 years, I guess it has been, uh, since I've been here. Um, my friend June has helped lead this whole thing up, and, and I'm super grateful for all the work that June has done over the last year. We had kind of a great passing of the torch this, this year as life and circumstances have changed, and so I'm thankful for the many ways in which our church family just seeks to serve and to love people um, through things as simple and as important as being able to be reminded of the joy of Christmas as we gather. So thank you guys. Um, I want to invite my friends Selwyn and Christine to come up here. Um, last week I told you that we were hoping last week to have a testimony uh, by Selwyn. And the reason this came about um, was because it was on November 11. Selwyn sent me a text and he said, um, you may have heard that I recently had a heart attack, another heart attack. And I said, yeah, I heard that. And he's like, I feel like God has been wanting me to share some of what God has been doing in my life as a testimony of God's faithfulness to me and my family. So we got together for breakfast a couple weeks ago and I got to hear um, some of the things that God has been doing in Selwyn and Christine's life. And, um, and then last week uh, they were supposed to share and then Christine ended up having some health issues. And so in the hospital last week at this time. And so I'm just grateful that you guys are here. No one's in the hospital this weekend and that we can hear a testimony of God's faithfulness. Thankfulness to God is one of those amazing practices that is good for us as well as it confesses who God is and what God has done. Um, in fact, Paul says in Thessalonians, he says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And that's a challenge to me, honestly, because I can find a lot of things in which I might say, man, that isn't great. I don't want to give thanks for that. And yet, God's word reminds us that thankfulness is more a posture of our heart before God than it is the circumstances that come to us. And so, someone's got some things to share. He came into elders meeting, uh, and we had elders and deacons in, in the room last week, and I left incredibly blessed. And so, I'm grateful for each one of you and for the work God is doing in your life. And I'm grateful that we can share what God is doing with you, with our church family. Okay. Uh Three weeks ago, I asked Pastor Jeremy if I could give a testimony to the congregation of God's faithfulness to our family through the recent uh, difficulties. I've had this felt that God was asking me to do this for some time, and I 
basically said, yeah, I will, but I won't. <laughs> Meaning to say I felt God's call to do it, but I also knew I had no intention of doing it. <laughs> and about three weeks ago, well, just well, just before I talked to Jeremy, God got my attention. I had a heart attack. That shook me to the core. And I felt that the Lord was saying to me, you either be obedient or something worse is going to happen. And uh, so I thought, okay, I need to share. There's been many, many things God has done in my life and the life of my family, but I just really want to talk about the events that started with the uh, June 19th of 2022. And I also, I have notes down here, and I, I may skip around, but I believe God is writing a story in each of our lives. He wants us to share these stories with each other in order to encourage each other in our walk with God. Difficulties are meant to purify our faith and draw us closer to God. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the testing, tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I'll also quote James 1, 2, and 4, through 4, 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials and temptations, knowing the proving of your faith worketh patience, and let patience have its perfect result, that ye may be perfect and entire, lacking in nothing. June 19, 2022, my wife and I, we were coming home for Father's Day gathering at my son who lives in Greenville's home. We were heading down M57. Beautiful day. Had no idea that what was about to transpire. We got involved in a head-on collision. The two vehicles, their speeds together exceeded 100 miles per hour. I was pinned in the vehicle. Uh, my injuries consisted of a concussion, five broken ribs, a compression fracture in my back, and multiple fractures in my left leg. I thought it was ironic. My femur was broken in multiple places. The end of my femur, where it connects to the knee, was shattered. And then the tibula, the fibula was broken, and the little toe was broken. I always thought that was ironic, the little toe. <laughs> but uh, immediately after the accident, God began to act on my behalf. A woman saw the accident, stopped her car. She came to the window on my side. The window was gone. It was shattered. And she started saying to me, stay with me. Don't go to sleep. And I had immediately had gone, been knocked out, and then I'd come to, and then I just wanted to go back to sleep. And I have heard since then, if I'd gone to sleep, that probably would have been the end of me, the end of my life here. Because they say, when you're in shock like that and seriously injured as I was, if you go out, you won't come back. Sure, I don't know at what point she was replaced by a fire rescue person, 
somebody in turnout gear. He was saying the same thing. Stay with me. We're going to get you out of there, buddy. And then they started to use the jaws of life to cut up my car. I like that car. <laughs> he loved that car. <laughs> you want to say something? I, I like that car. It was a uh, Honda Accord sports edition. Uh, I normally would never have bought such a car, but uh, we'd been out shopping for vehicles and pulled into the, we'd taken one car for a drive, we didn't like it, pulled in, there's this bright red Honda Accord right next to where we parked. And I'm looking at it, I thought, that's a really nice car, I wish I could afford that. And I looked on the windshield and the price was substantially below what it should have been. And I asked the guy, well, what's the story with this car? He says, are you interested? And I said, yeah. He says, it's a hot car. <laughs> it, it had been stolen and recovered. <laughs> and because it had been stolen and recovered, they had to put a salvage title on it, which meant that it sold for a much less than their normal retail value. Being a thrifty West Michiganer, <laughs> I immediately jumped on that. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. <laughs> and uh, I was watching them cut my car up, and, and that, that really, they didn't have to tell me to stay awake then. I was watching this, and, and then they, they cut the door off, and then they started reaching in with those jaws of life, and they started cutting the dash away. The dash was in my lap, and I started saying, boy, I hope they know what they're doing. They're awful close to my legs and my arms. But they, they were very skilled. They, they were reminded a few times by the others around them to watch his leg, to watch his leg so they didn't cut it, and also his leg was seriously injured. Yes, and as they got the car cut open, four of them lifted me out of the car, and I heard the leader of the crew saying, watch his leg, watch his leg. And I can remember, that was the first time I realized I was hurt. And I began to think, my leg must be hurt. It was a rather odd way to think about it. But then they loaded me in an ambulance. And then again, I heard something I didn't expect to hear. I thought they were going to transport me to the hospital. But the leader of the crew, EMT crew, said, we're not transporting this one. Oh, okay. I must not be all that bad off. She said, he's going by Aeromed. And I thought, I must be really hurt. But anyway, I just want to say, God was there with each person who stopped to assist the fire rescue people, the helicopter crew, doctors and nurses in the hospital. Each of them were God's agent to preserve my life. And I am thankful for them. And he took up all their services. The rest of us had to wait. <laughs> yes, my wife was in the next room. I think somebody said there were 14 people in the room with me. She had one there with her. And occasionally, they'd call that one over to work on me. My son, Selwyn, was also in the car with us. He went into the regular part of the ER. We were in the trauma center. And he was in the regular part of the ER. And they said it was four hours before he got seen. And he said later, you sucked up all the resources. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
But I, I just want to read right here. Let's see, I've lost my place. <laughs> that night, some strange things happened. I think it's funny to share them. I made four, four phone calls that night. I can only remember one. But apparently I called my boss, told him I won't be in Monday morning. And he said he was shocked. He said he could tell by my voice that something terrible had happened. And he says, well, why is he bothering to call me? <laughs> Just being a good employee. I called a friend of mine who'd been involved in a head-on collision. And again, I can't remember that phone call, but I must have called him just to find out how it felt for him. And then I called Pastor Tom. Again, I can't remember that phone call either. But uh, he was my past, one of our pastors, and I wanted to tell him what had happened. Mm -hmm. And then I called my wife. Now, I remember that one because she said she couldn't talk to me. I didn't have a lot of a choice. I, I was in a room with uh, another person, and that person um, said, um, you're not alone, so you have to be quiet. Yeah, I remember she said, I said, hey, I'm okay. And I really wasn't, but I wanted to reassure her. And uh, she said, I can't talk to you. <laughs> they took so many x-rays of me that night, I still glow. <laughs> but uh, I spent five days in ICU, and I can remember, my, the accident happened Sunday night. I have a very brief recollection of a moment in the trauma ward. I can remember it was all white, and I was surrounded by people in surgical scrubs, I remember they were talking to me. I can't remember what they were saying. I can't remember what I was saying back. And what he was signing. <laughs> what he was signing. What yes. Was my wife points out, I, I read the documentation later. It described everything I agreed to. I can't remember any of it. But they said, you know, he explained it to him. And he said he understood why we're doing what we're doing. And he, he agreed to it. Okay. My son, who is a nurse now, said that uh, some of that is filled in after the fact. They just go ahead and do what they need to do. But I spent five days in the ICU, and I did not really become conscious of anything. I went in Sunday night. Tuesday afternoon is when I really began to become aware again of what was going on. And my nurses told me the extent of my injuries, and I remember just saying to the Lord, I don't want to climb this mountain. I have heart disease, and I've had a lot of trouble because of heart disease. And I said, isn't heart disease enough? Why do you have to afflict me with it? I don't want to climb this mountain. And I think the Lord just looked at me and said, he smiled and said, I'm going to climb with you. And he has been climbing with me all the way. I spent five days in ICU, then in acute care, and then got transferred to Mary Freebed. In Mary Freebed, I had to learn how to transfer from a bed to a wheelchair and back again, how to move from a wheelchair to a toilet, eventually how to clean myself when I was on the toilet. And for the first time ever, I had hallucinations. I, one day I said to my nurse, there's this man over in the corner, he wants me to sign a promissory note. And I don't know why, and I want you to get him out of here. 
And he comes in, and he looks around. He's, There's nobody in this room. With I said, no, he's right there. He's got a beard, a beard and a mustache, and he's kind of a sleepy guy. <laughs> and he just looked at me and shook his head and said, nobody's in here but you and me. I had hallucinations one other night in the hospital, a high fever. And I remember thinking they had moved me from one floor to another. And I said to the staff, you guys moved too. And they thought that was really strange. <laughs> they laughed about it. But I just want to read right here out of Isaiah 43. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. I won't say it doesn't hurt. When you go through adversity, it hurts. And I would not encourage anyone to seek it. But it is yet the path of blessing often comes through trials and difficulties. Psalm 73, 26 said, My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my life. I had weeks of tears. I thought at times there were no more tears to cry, and then more would come. I, I thought after the accident, I thought I was okay emotionally and okay with the fact the accident happened. I told myself, there's a certain amount of randomness in life. As Christians, we're not spared from that randomness. I got caught up in some randomness. And I, th and I was okay with that for a few days. But then I got angry. I got angry at the woman. Just moved up. I got angry at the woman who lost control of her car and steered it into the path of mine. I thought, if you can't control your car, why were you driving? I was angry. And one day the Lord said to me, you know, I was with her too. Just as I was with you through that accident, I was with her. She died a few days later. I did not. God spared my life. In January, I went to the elders meeting. I was still in a wheelchair. I asked them to pray for me. And I want to quote here James 5, 14 through 15. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them. Anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. I hoped that I would go in in a wheelchair to that meeting, and I hoped I would walk out. I didn't. No? <laughs> I rolled out. But I had surgery again on my leg in February, and that was the beginning of actually my getting strength enough to walk on that leg again. They uh, took all the metal out of my leg. I had 12 screws down right above the knee. I had a metal plate along the side here. I had a rod through my hip. All of that was extracted and replaced with, now I only have eight screws in my knee. And I have a metal rod going up my femur. And they took a metal plate and a screw and put it in my hip. And it sounds painful, it was. 
But that began the process of actually healing that leg to the point that I can walk on it with a cane now. There was a point up till then I began to wonder if I'd ever walk again. And that began that process. And I do attribute a lot of that healing to the elders of the church praying for me. It didn't happen in the miraculous way I wanted it to, but it, it did happen. And I thank the Lord for that. Something people have brought up to me over and over again, and it didn't just occur with this accident. There's been several incidents where I was at death's door and God worked in miraculous ways to restore life to me. And people have always said, God must have a special purpose for you. And I tell you, I struggled over that. What is his purpose? And I was doing that again after this accident. And recently, the Lord has just kind of laid it on my heart. Micah 6.8. He has showed the old man what is good. What does the Lord require of thee? But to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. That is my purpose. It's not something grand. Most of us will never do something grand that the world draws attention to. But God wants us to do what is right. He wants us to love mercy, which is to show kindness. And he wants us to walk humbly with our God. There's one last thing the Lord laid in my heart this morning. I don't have it in my notes, but I want to read it. It's in Habakkuk. Habakkuk 3. Chapters, chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vine. Just a minute, let me get rid of this. Thank you. I like that ringtone. That's kind of nice. Okay. I'll start over. <laughs> Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vine, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. And this really means a lot to me. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He will make me sure-footed as a deer and bring me safely over the mountains. And I remember back saying, I don't want to climb this mountain. I'm still climbing. And he's going to bring me safely over to the other side. Mm. Amen, right? Could you share one more thing? The other night at the elders meeting, you, you, you said most of that. And then you also said something about the mountains and the valleys and learning to know God. Would you share that? Yes, I shared this with the elders meeting. Uh, recently, I was talking with a friend and he was talking about the mountaintop experiences and how just how great they are. And I don't know, sometimes I'm just amazed. Well, I shouldn't say amazed. I'm surprised at what comes out of my mouth. I said, but you know, we grow more in the valleys because the land in the valleys is more fertile. We all want the mountaintop experiences, but we need the valleys to really grow close to God. Amen.
Amen. Thank you so much, Selwyn. Let me, let me pray for both of you as you continue your journey with the Lord. And here's your phone back, by the way. Our f- yeah, it was your son, John. You can call him back later. Our Father, we thank you for Selwyn and Christine, for their testimony of your faithfulness throughout a very, very challenging last year plus for them. And God, um, knowing the condition of life on this fragile world in which we live, um, we're not promised tomorrow, but you have given us today and you've given us yourself. And we thank you for that. And God, we, I pray for anyone in our hearing this morning Um, who may find themselves walking one of those deep valleys, that they would be reminded and encouraged that you are with them. As the psalmist says, your rod and your staff comfort them. We thank you for this testimony of your amazing grace and your goodness to Selwyn and Christine. We pray that they would continue to, to heal and that you would be glorified as they do justly and they love mercy and they walk humbly with you. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Can we say thank you this morning, Sal and Christine? Awesome. Turn your Bibles, please, briefly to John chapter one. John chapter one. I have just a couple of brief thoughts for us this morning before we go to communion. This is the season of Advent. A- Advent is, uh, is a word that means arrival. And, and it's a word or it's a season that celebrates the anticipation of the coming of Jesus the Messiah who is the light of the world. It's a season of preparation to prepare our hearts uh, and our minds for the coming again of the Messiah, Jesus. Typically in Advent, one of the traditions is that there's uh, four or five candles. Oftentimes, the candle in the middle of an Advent ceremony Christ candle. And then each candle goes forth from there and it might symbolize um, hope or love or joy or peace. It symbolizes light um, that comes through the person of Christ. And our scripture reading for this morning is fitting for the season which we are in. Advent has a lot of lights in it. So does um, the Jewish feast of Hanukkah, which we're going to study next week together out of John chapter 10. But I love how John's gospel places this idea of light for us. Here's the way that it says it in John chapter 1, and you can remain seated for the scripture reading. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Life was in him. And that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. Yet the darkness did not overcome or did not understand it. There was a man named John who was sent from God. He came as a witness to testify about the light. So that all might believe through him. He was not the light. But he came to testify about the light. The true light who gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was created through him. Yet the world did not recognize him. 
He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but they're born of God. And the word became flesh, and he took up residence among us. We observed his glory, the glory of the one and only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. These are the words of the Lord. And so, as we consider these words and we think about the person of Christ coming to this world, we can be reminded that in all the things that we experience here in life, we have hope. We have the hope, not just that Jesus came and died and rose again, but even as he did the first time, he will return the second time. In Revelation chapter 1, it says, at that point, all tear and crying and pain will be placed away because God makes all things new. You see, this, this picture of light and darkness describes uh, our spiritual condition. It describes the condition of the world in which we live in. It, it doesn't take too long to walk out in the places around us and see darkness. We see darkness through the abuse that takes place in families sometimes. We see darkness that takes place through the... Um, the improper use of substances. We see darkness that takes place through anger and through bitterness, through lying, through stealing, through cheating. We see darkness that takes place out there and oftentimes we see it in ways within our own life because darkness represents everything that is opposed to the work and to the will of God in our life. I have darkness in my life. You have darkness in your life in the experiential sense. The amazing thing about Jesus is that he came to deal with darkness. And he deals with darkness only by bringing light to the world. Sometimes we, we sing, we'll sing here in a few minutes, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. It, it's an amazing truth of the scriptures that where there is darkness, when God comes in, he brings light, which means he brings truth, which means he brings grace, which means he brings himself to the table. I love verse 14. The word became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. This word is none other than the word who created the world. Verse 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. He was not a God as some religions teach. He was God. He was God incarnate. He was God who took on human flesh and bone because he had a great love for the people whom he created who were in darkness. What's so significant about darkness and light? Why does John use this imagery? Genesis tells a story about how God created the world and everything in it, and there was intimate fellowship between God and man. This intimate fellowship was broken through sin. Because of sin, Jesus came. 
He came to restore fellowship with God through his life. And so while darkness and light are opposed to one another, when Jesus steps in the mix, he brings light and he brings life to those who are in darkness. See, the amazing thing that the scripture teaches about light, why it's so significant, verse 5 in John chapter 1 says that light dispels or overcomes darkness, always. It also says in verse 4 and verse 12 that, that light always brings life, right? The purpose of, of, of light is to illuminate something. The purpose of Jesus' life is to bring life to those who are in darkness. In verse 9, it says that Jesus is the true light, the one who gives light to everyone. In other words, there's no other place to find light you can't go to the news to find light. You can't go to a horoscope to find light. You can't go to all the different ways in which we in a modern culture through money or through possessions, we can't go to any of those to find light. The only place that light comes, the only place that life comes, the only place that truth comes is through a person, Jesus, the Messiah. The scripture says here that Jesus in verse 4, that he is the originator of life, that he's intimately involved in the life of the people that he created. It also says in verse 12 that he, he doesn't force himself on anyone, but he does offer himself to be received. In other words, to be taken in personally as one's own Lord. In fact, receiving Christ into one's life grants the believer, the right, and the word there for right in the Greek has to do with the power, the power or the authority to be called his child. And so the imagery of what Jesus does when he brings life to people, he essentially adopts us into his family. He says, you are no longer who you once were. While you may still struggle with areas of darkness in your life, that's not who you are. You are now in my family. You are now my son. You are now my daughter. As he says here, he gave them the power or the authority in verse 12 to be the children of God. To those who believe in his name. Notice what verse 13 says. Who were born not of blood. In other words, you don't have to be born of the bloodline or of the will of the flesh. You can't work your way to that kind of status or of the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh. He made his dwelling among us. This idea of here of made his dwelling or he, he made up his residence among us. It's the word that corresponds to the idea of tabernacle in the Hebrew Bible. So when God's people were um, freed out of Egypt by God's saving grace, um, he tabernacled with them. You, had, you have scripture describing how the 12 tribes are gathered around a tent. And in that tent, the presence of God came and he dwelt. And I, 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 it's just amazing for me to think about this because God, the creator, the originator of the universe, the one who is holy, who is just, who is perfect in all of his ways, he came down. He placed himself in the midst of his people because God's constant movement in the Bible is he wants to be with you and he wants to be with me. And so the fullest expression of this that we have in the scriptures is Jesus, which is why he says the word became flesh 
He took up residence. He tabernacled amongst us. We observe his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father. Notice how he comes full of grace and truth. I like what one writer says. He says, most Jews so heavily emphasized that a human could not become a God that they never considered that God might become human. Think about that. Most Jews so heavily emphasized that a human could not become a God that they never considered that God might become human. But that's precisely what Jesus did. He, he, being in very nature God, Philippians says, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage, and yet he became nothing. He, take, he took on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's not the end of the story. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and that every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. See, see, Jesus came because there's darkness in the world. Jesus did not come to make a dark world just look pretty. He came to transform it with his life through the light that he brings. It's very different than how sometimes we might deal with darkness in our world. Some of us choose to try to uh, embrace darkness. Like we look towards the things that are just very anti all the heart, the, 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 the place of God, and we say, yeah, I'm going to embrace that. Um, some of us try to medicate it. Some of us celebrate it. We may not do it, but we might celebrate it. Some of us try to self-help darkness. Others of us try to psychoanalyze darkness. Sometimes we rationalize darkness. Sometimes we try to make it spiritual. We churchify it. We make it holy. Or we strive hard on our own in order to try to bring light where only Jesus himself can bring light. But I love how Jesus deals with darkness. He deals with darkness through grace. It says that Jesus came, in verse 14, full of grace and truth. One writer has said, I'm not sure where it originated from, that grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. In other words, it's receiving something that was not owed to any one of us because, as the scripture says, every one of us stood guilty before God. We couldn't make ourselves holy. We couldn't make ourselves anything. And yet God in his grace, he comes to the world. And not only does he give his life and is he raised again so that we can have life. He not only gives us life and a future and a hope in the world to come. He gives us life for the here and for the now. One way that Pastor Mike, one of my former Uh, Pastors used to say and define grace was grace is God's divine power for daily living. So so God not only brings um, life for eternity, he says, I want to step into Jeremy's world and I want him to experience life today. He does that through grace, something that we don't observe, but, but or something that we don't deserve, but something that he freely gives. Not only does he do it through grace, he also deals with darkness through truth. Um, it says in Psalm 27, I believe it is, the Lord is my light and my salvation. 
whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, whom shall I be afraid? I love that phrase, the Lord is my light, because when God comes into a situation, he wants to reveal all the ways in which we might be trusting someone or something other than him in our life. And he gently does that by bringing light. You, you'll, you'll notice that these are candles. Back in the ancient period, they had oil lamps. I've got a couple of replicas in my office, but they're definitely not safe for up here. Um, definitely not. Um, but, but the softness of this kind of light, if we were to dim the lights in the auditorium here, you would have enough light to see. And as that light got closer and closer, you'd be able to see with ever more clarity. It's kind of like that in our relationship with Jesus. The closer in our walk that, that, that we walk with him, the Lord begins to reveal things to us. And he says, Jeremy, you know, you've maybe trusted this for a long time. But here's the truth of what that, does, that is and what that does. And he begins to shine the light of his word, shine the light of his spirit into our lives. In fact, if you are a follower of Jesus here today, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit is called, in John's Gospel, the Spirit of Truth, who leads and guides us into what is right, according to the work and the word and the will of God. God loves communicating truth. Truth is essential to dispel darkness. In fact, a biblical worldview is simply seeing things according to God's perspective. In other words, God's version of the news. And in Jesus, we receive the perfect revelation of truth and the perfect revelation of grace. The amazing thing, this will be, I think, the third time I say this because I want to seed it in there for you. The word became flesh and he tabernacled amongst us. God comes with his presence. It would be easy for the all-powerful God to say, this and it just happened. But for God to actually step down into our existence, to celebrate Emmanuel, God who is with us, is to celebrate a God who is not distant, but a God who is near. You may have moments in your life, Selwyn kind of alluded to this as part of his life, moments where we think, God, where are you? God, you are not here. The witness of scripture is that God is here and God is with you. I have a friend who walked through a very challenging time about seven or eight years ago. And he said, you know, Jeremy, walking through that challenge, the one thing I learned was that God was with me and it didn't come easy. Every morning it was saying, God, I'm going to claim the truth over my life that you are with me. Because the emotions went like this. <laughs> and yet the truth of who God was in his life became even strong, more strongly manifested as he walked with God. It may be that you are here today or walking through just a challenging season of life or health or, or, or something else going on. You need to be reminded God is faithful. God is with you. And he loves you. In fact, that's the reason Jesus came. John's gospel says it this way. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Where are you in need of God's grace and God's truth for your life today? Where do you need to be reminded that Emmanuel, God with us, is here with you? 
pray with me, please? Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that at the beginning of the Advent season, we can be reminded that you are here and that you stepped, you have stepped into our world and into our existence to bring us life through your life. God, where there are, where there is darkness in our world, we ask that you would equip us, your people, to be as what Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl, but instead they put it on a stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, Jesus said, may your light shine before men that they would see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. God, may, may as we walk with you in this world, may you shine through us to be a light to the darkest areas. And God, where there's darkness in our life, reveal and illuminate that through the working of your spirit uniquely to each one of us today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.